junior camp was awesome this past week. We had 10 campers that went from Grace Church, and there was actually a record number of registered campers of 1,043. It was an re all-time record, which tells me our churches are growing, and I'm very thankful for that. Absolutely. <clears throat> yes, indeed. Uh, you fellows that are signed up on our Mo team, uh, you should have gotten an email this week. Your wife, if you're married, should have gotten the same email to help you remember. You'll be given the hard copy of that schedule, and we'll ask you to put it on your refrigerator so you'll remember. And thank you for your outstanding commitment to help keeping our campus beautiful. This coming Tuesday night, listen very carefully. At 7 o'clock, Grace Church will be hosting the City of Central Autism Awareness Meeting in the Alexander Center. I'm pumped about this meeting, but it'll be in the A Center. And um, Sister Christy, we're going to serve refreshments and stuff. If any of you, two or three of you ladies can help out with that, we'd appreciate it. We need some hospitality people as well, and I'm sure she has that coordinated. In addition to that, here in the sanctuary, we'll have prayer meeting at 7.30, so we'll have the two events going on. We're asking all of our church folks, if you're not asked to be next door in the autism meeting, please join us in the sanctuary for prayer. That's code for don't go over there come over here that's what that means so if you'll remember that one final announcement and then we'll turn to the word of god uh our leadership team has has really been hit hard this year with with some very traumatic things and but we're we're plowing through and, and church is going right on um but the latest among them is casey is having some issues with her voice and uh she's been put on no singing status by her doctor for for a month and um uh she's on what the doctor's calling 50% talking during the day. She talks for an hour, and then she can't talk for an hour. And so if she don't say much to you after church or she's talking real soft and you can't hear her, that's why. And uh, she wanted you to know that, so no one would certainly take offense to that. And then finally today, as we turn to the Word of God, Hunter, you did an amazing job today. Thank you. Job well done. We appreciate your comments very, very much. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning with verse 11. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Today's Father's Day, and it's, it's rare that I would preach in the holiday theme, uh, but today is an ascend message, an ascend-based message. I want to speak to all of our men. If you are a male, I'm not singling out fathers. I'm speaking to all of our men here today. I want to preach to you for a little while this morning just simply becoming a real man. Becoming a real man. Everybody say thank God for the word. Thank you for your patience and standing. God bless you. You may be seated. <clears throat> I remember when Marcus was at home as a, a, a young man, a young teenage boy in junior high school. We're glad to have Marcus and Cassie, by the way, here today. Always glad to have them come and visit. I wanted him to preach this morning, and uh, he said he wanted to hear Dad preach. So I told him, don't get your hopes up. I feel complimented and honored, but I would 
prefer y'all be hearing him right now, but I'm honoring his request. But he used to tell kids he went to school with that my dad can beat up your dad. And I told him, you need to stop that because you're not sure that that is in reality the case. And I would hate to embarrass you on any given day when some your friend's dad comes over here and lets me have it. So uh, we got, uh, I think we got that worked out and, and it all happened the way it was supposed to where nothing happened along that line. But um, <clears throat> I'd like to challenge all of our men here today. Do you really believe that you are a real man? If you do, I want to give you a standard of measurement. Again, this is an ascend-based message. I'm throwing out a challenge to everybody. And uh, if you feel like that pastor singling me out, all I can say is if the shoe fits, you need to wear it. We live in a world that depends on secure and unchanging measurements. In fact, there are government agencies that go around doing tests on various devices to make sure that companies are being honest in the goods that they're selling. For example, when you go to the gas pump, you will see a seal from the state of Louisiana there that lists the name of the state agency that has determined that that pump is actually delivering to you exactly one gallon of gasoline accurately. What if the measurement of a gallon was variable? What if it was subject to a person's interpretation? What if one company would give three quarters of a gallon and still say it was a gallon? The public would no doubt rise up in arms because of the companies being guilty of cheating the consumer. Even the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, also has a division that spends time inspecting pharmaceutical companies to make sure that when they say the drug is 1,000 milligrams, that it is truly, precisely that amount. Every 1,000 milligrams would always equal one gram. So what if drug companies decided to have variable amounts of contents of chemicals that went into the developing of that particular drug, it would have a huge impact on our health. The building industry is also regulated by inspectors who have determined that 12 inches will always be equivalent to one foot. And where I understand that's a relative term, we all agree to the measurement of it. Our world would be full of engineering disasters if the standard of measurements all degenerated uh, into your own interpretation of what a measurement would be. Brother Mike Henson is a cabinet maker. I can't imagine what his life would be like if 12 inches was subject to the person's interpretation, especially when it comes to a fisherman. You'd never get the cabinets in the house because a 12-inch fish is always that long. And the more they tell it, the longer it gets. One of our men went fishing yesterday. I'm anxious to hear not about how many fish he caught, but how big they were. Oh, man, I caught a brim. That thing was 
58 pounds, that thing was that long. There are other measurements that we could explore today as well, but the matter of time has great impact uh, on how airports function. What if time was subject to personal interpretation? I know here at Grace Church that it is. The time the church starts is subject to personal interpretation. People have a different idea on what 11 o'clock means, on what 10 o'clock means. I'm not singling anybody out, but if the shoe fits, wear it. So we understand how important it is. Hospitals schedule procedures and the shipping industry and the matter of money also has great impact on local, national, and world economies. I know husbands and wives have a different measurement for a dollar. Amen. All of you men say amen. The same thing can be said for the scope of the spiritual world. The same thing can be said for the scope of the spiritual world where the traffic of men's souls move not just on a daily docket, but also on an eternal path. There are measurements. There are measurements that we can find in the Word of God that can help us to see how we're doing as men. There was a little book that was written in 1666. The title of this book is The Godly Man's Portrait. It was written by Thomas Watson. A little over 250 pages. It has 12 chapters that are directly written towards what a godly man looks like. It was quite a popular book 400 years ago when men were concerned about being godly men. Its popularity has long since departed in our society, and it isn't likely to hit the New York Times bestseller list anytime soon. But he lists 24 different points in showing what a godly man looks like. It is a sense of measurement that helped men in a bygone era to see what God longed for in godly men. According to Watson... He discovered the Bible said that a godly man is a man of knowledge, a man moved or motivated by faith, a man fired or motivated by love, a man like God, a man careful about the worship of God, a man who serves God and not men, a man who prizes Jesus Christ, a man who can weep, a man who loves the Word, A man who has the Spirit of God residing in him. A man of humility. A man of sincerity. A heavenly man. A zealous man. A patient man. A thankful man. A man who loves the saints of God. A man who does not indulge himself in sin. A man who does not indulge himself in sin. A man... A man who is good in his relationships. A man who does spiritual things in a spiritual manner. A man thoroughly trained in religion. A man who walks with God. A man who walks with God. A man who strives to be an instrument for making others godly. 
Instead of men who are pursuing the American dream or chasing after empty pots of gold or giving themselves a past that leans towards laziness and checking out from responsibility, these are some measurements that are going to require work and discipline and accountability in order to obtain them. What if there were more men, more men in this community who wanted to say, I want to measure up to what God wants me to be. What kind of churches would we have? What kind of families would we have? What kind of destiny would we have ahead of us? And my prayer today on this Father's Day of 2016 is that our men at Grace Church would pursue the things that God measures men by. And everybody said amen. The text that I read from today originates in the pastoral epistles meaning that it was written from Paul to Timothy and has emphasis on those who are in spiritual leadership. However, it is important to understand that every man who comes into the kingdom of God is designated as a man of God. The status or title of man of God is not just regulated to the person standing in the pulpit that has a ministerial card in their back pocket. But I believe every man in this church today is destined by God to be a true man of God if you're willing to discipline yourself and be accountable to God's purpose in your life. There's an old parable that was told by a Haitian pastor He told that there was a man who wanted to sell his house for $2,000. Another man in the area desperately wanted to buy it, but he did not have the means to have it. After a lot of bargaining, the owner agreed to sell him the house for $1,000. However, the reduced price came with a stipulation or a condition. The owner would be able to retain ownership of a large nail that was just above the front door. Several years passed, and the original owner decided he wanted to buy the house back. Understandably, the new owner was unwilling to sell it back to him. So the original owner goes out and finds the carcass of a dead dog and hangs it on the nail above the front door. It was the nail that the original owner owned. And it wasn't too long before the house became unlivable. And the family was forced to sell the home to the owner of the nail. The Haitian pastor concluded the story, If we leave leave the devil with even one small peg in our life, he will return to hang his rotting garbage on it. If the enemy has one access to just a single nail in your life, men, he will exploit it. And there are, are there any nails hanging over the front door of your heart, of your life today? If it is, you need to plead the blood of Jesus and take the ownership of that nail away from the devil and let God have it and let him hang some things on it to remind you of what is necessary to become a real man and to be what God wants you to be. So let's listen to the instructions of, of Paul here today. When Paul was writing these words to Timothy, he used a Greek word that is pronounced fuge. We get the English word fugitive from this root word, literally meaning to seek safety by flight. It's running away. It's fleeing. 
It's becoming a fugitive. It's finding safety by flight. You are to flee certain things, he said. You are to flee from something because it is abhorrent and objectionable to your soul. A real man of God, a husband, a father, a man, is measured by what he flees from. I want everybody to listen. I want moms and dads and young people, I want everybody to listen. According to the Bible, part of your measurement of being a true man of God is determined by what you flee from. And the Bible teaches in 1 Corinthians 6 that as a man, you are to flee fornication. If you married your wife, you're to be faithful to that woman. And if she ain't pretty to you no more, too bad. You should have thought about that before you married her. The Bible teaches that a man of God is the husband of one wife. The Bible teaches men to flee fornication. In 1 Corinthians 10, the Bible teaches us to flee from idolatry. 1 Timothy 6 teaches us to flee from covetousness and the love of money. 2 Timothy 2 teaches us to flee from youthful lust. It is still good advice in our generation. Yes, it is. We live in a sensual, idolatrous, money-loving, lustful society. Every device the devil can use, he will do so to undermine you as a man, you as a husband, and you as a father. Yes, he will. He will use anything. And the Bible teaches us that part of the measure of a man, according to Scripture, is what you flee from. But in first Timothy 6, Paul was talking about fleeing from the clutches of greed. He introduces the subject in verse 6. He said, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, he said. And it is certain we can carry nothing out. We have food and raiment. Let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money, he said, is the root of all evil which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It's not all about the job. I want everybody here to understand that. It's not all about the job. I learned a long time ago when you die, you're not going to stand and be judged by your employer. And there are folks that have a tendency to put job ahead of church. You need to rethink that. And if you're able to work, you're able to attend church. Jesus gave many warnings about greed, and yet most of us rarely even consider that we might be given to the sin of greed. In two other places, Paul characterized greed as a form of idolatry. I am measured, the Bible said, by the things that I flee from. And in this context of this passage, I am to flee with all of my strength against greed. If you flee, or you flee as a fugitive would flee from the law. At the end of the day, Everybody listen. At the end of the day, we have fathers, husbands, need to hear this. At the end of the day, 
A man will not only be measured by how many hours he spent at the job, but by how many or how much money he made, or by how many possessions that he owns. The real value of a man's life is what he fled from that day. You'll discover that in fleeing, there are some virtues that pour into your life by doing the right thing. Virtue will pour into your life and you will discover godliness, contentment, humility, perseverance, and a host of other things that God will bless you with. So there's things, according to the Scripture, that men should flee from. At the same time, according to the Scripture, there's things that a man should follow after. I know today I'm up against the parameters of upbringing and what you've been taught by mom and dad or what you were not taught by mom and dad is probably the better case. But I'm talking about the Bible. It's still relevant. It still works. And it's still true. And everybody say amen. Amen. The most successful lives that's ever been lived on this planet are those who have been measured by the Word of God and not by society and culture and money and all of that kind of thing. The second thing that a man of God is measured by is what he follows after. We are to follow after the things of God as hokey and as old fogey as that sounds. And you know what? I believe in modern day church. I believe in progressive church and all that kind of stuff. But when it comes to the book, we draw a line. I still believe that men ought to be men and that men ought to be a man of God. I believe you ought to be close to God. I believe spirituality and the kingdom of God should be your greatest priority over your job, your wife, your family, and everything else. Jesus taught, seek first the kingdom. And if you do, everything else will be added to you. We're to follow after the things of God with the same amount of energy that we have used to flee from the trappings of the world and of sin. The word that Paul uses gives the indication that it is to be a lifelong pursuit, that we are to never stop pursuing, that we are never to stop pursuing godliness. I know people who believe that it's possible to graduate from the school of spirituality, that you've learned all you can learn, and I can't learn anymore. It's a lie straight out of the pit. There's always room to grow in the heart of a man. I don't care how long you've served God or how much you think you know about God. There's still room to grow. And everybody said amen. So I would recommend today, I would admonish here today, That you make it the goal of your life to achieve six things. And that is righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness or gentleness. Pursue these things. There's the, I work on these things every day. I've not perfected any of them, and neither have you. But it is incumbent upon us, it is imperative on us as men, that we pursue the measurement of God's Word. If you want to be a real man... A man of true faith will find himself pursuing these everlasting possessions of the soul. A man who is following after these kind of things will find an incredible spiritual focus in his life. It's hard to get a man who is focused to be turned aside from his goal. When a man really makes up his mind, and everybody here today has the potential, the ability, and the Holy Ghost will empower you to be a real man the man 
that God wants you to be. The third thing that I want to mention today that the Bible is uh, very clear on. A man is measured by what he fights for. And I get weary with ninny baby men. Men that have the backbone of a jellyfish. May I sing my song written and created by me. Oh, I wished I was a Pentecostal wiener. Oh, I wished I was a Pentecostal wiener. That is what I'd really love to be. Y'all get the point? I'll finish it for you after church by special request. <clears throat> but there's a lot of men that have fallen easily into that bracket. You don't have, you're not man enough to forgive. You don't have the guts to walk up to anybody and say, I forgive you for being an idiot. You don't have the guts to do it. You know why? You're not a real man. Even Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Real men know how to pray. And real men can even cry when it's appropriate. Real men know how to get a hold of God. Marcus told me last night they had a service at their church a couple of Wednesday nights ago when he was a speaker and said before he was finished preaching, one of their men ran to the altar and just started wailing and travailing in the Holy Ghost, seeking after the will and purpose of God for his life. That's what I'm talking about. Men who aren't afraid of an altar. Men who aren't afraid of a prayer room. Men who aren't afraid of the Word of God. Men who will lead their family. Men who will guide their family in the paths of righteousness for his name namesake you want to be a real man I don't care how much money you make I don't care how classy you dress I don't care what kind of car you drive or house to live in I want to know what your relationship with God is about and if you can't lead your family in spirituality you have failed to measure up to what the word of God teaches but I'm here to give you hope today you can still do it oh yes you can you can become the man that God wants you to become you can flee some things. You can pursue some things and become that man. And you know what? I have some great news. Your family would welcome it. It's amazing to me at how many wives, mothers, have talked to me about their husband with burden and concern and would give anything if their husband would take over the spiritual reins of their house and teach their kids spiritual things. Teach your kids how to pray. Be an example to them. You want to be a real man? What's the slogan, Kelton? The Army has a few good men, or is that the Marines? Who is it? Marines? Just a few good men. A few good men. A few good men can impact a society. A few good men can impact a community. A few good men can impact a church. A few good men can impact the kingdom. God don't need very many because when he empowers a man to be a man, that man is unmovable and unstoppable. And there's every, every man here today has the potential of being that man, but you have to be willing to discipline yourself and to be accountable and be submissive to the Word of God. Everybody clap your hands and shout, Yeah! And then finally today, a man is measured by what you fight for. If your money means more to you than your family, you got your priorities mixed up. 
If your money means more to you than your spirituality, you've got your priorities mixed up. For what would it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his soul? So it's important that we as men fight the good fight. There's terminology in the Scripture which means to literally agonize the good agony. Agonize the good agony is what the Bible teaches. It's literal terminology in the Greek. Paul is informing us at every step of the way there will be a fight to contend with. Your wife will try to wear you down sometimes when she gets carnal. Your kids will try to do it. Been there, done that. Not wife being carnal, but kids. You know what? So many of our kids threw their parents under the bus in that video presentation. I'm just just settling the score. You ain't perfect either, Doc. I don't care what you say about your daddy, Micah. Love Micah. You're a great kid, man. But I believe our dads ought to have enough backbone and enough spine about you to be willing to fight for the spirituality of your family, your spouse, and your kids. It shouldn't matter to you whether your spouse wants to keep going to church or not. It shouldn't matter to you if your kids want to keep going to church or not. And if they ever walk up and say, I'm discouraged with it, you need to step in the gap, man, and encourage them. We can't quit. We can't stop. We can't give up. God is our, he's the most important thing in our life. Come on, somebody get behind me today. I'm not trying to preach a little fluffy Father's Day message to make everybody feel good. As a matter of fact, I'm not trying to make you feel good. I want you to bow up, man. You feel like a real man when you can spank your three-year-old, don't you? Boy, I'm a tough daddy. I made him sit in the corner for five minutes. Woo-hoo. Wait till they're 16. See how tough you are. I told Chris yesterday that he'll soon reach the point where he won't be able to wrestle with his two boys like he does right now. We used to have an above-ground swimming pool at our house a number of years ago, and Marcus and I were wrestling in the pool, and I'd always had the upper hand. Always. And he caught me just right and baptized me in that pool, and I didn't fight with him no more. That's the end of that, man. I'm done with that. I'll never let him believe he can take me down. I'm almost 60 years old. I... I've tried to raise him that old men have strategies that he don't know about. <laughs> I ain't undoing that. <laughs> Even though there is none, I'm going to leave that alone. He believes it, so I just tell him, don't ever go to sleep. I'll choke you to death, boy, while you're sleeping. <laughs> Praise God. I want to be a man. I still want to be a man. Fight with it every day, but I'm trying Bless God by the help of God. I want to tell all of our men here today, there's adversaries around you that if you could see them, they'd terrify the wits out of you. I know we talk big and bad when it comes to the devil, but when he shows up in your bedroom at 2 in the morning, you just find out how big and bad he is and how big and bad you're not. Save the power of the Holy Ghost. 
The devil is intimidating and he can invoke fear and trembling. He can cause you to doubt and, and, and be afraid. All of these things, there's adversaries. And, and I'm glad to say today that I personally do not walk based on what I can see, but I walk with confidence and trust in the name of Jesus and the power of the blood of Christ. I can go anywhere and I can do anything because if God be for you as a man, then who can be against you? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Hallelujah! Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Zechariah said, And they shall be as mighty men, and shall tread which tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets in battle. And they shall fight because the Lord is with them, and the riders on the horse shall be confounded. Paul said, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For our, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty. As a man, I don't have to be afraid as long as I maintain my relationship with God. But our weapons are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations of every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Paul said in Ephesians, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not and on the scripture goes. Men, we can't give up on the fight. Our society, oh God, God help us in this up and coming presidential election. And I hope all of you that want to stay home and not vote at all, by doing that, you're giving the vote to the other guy that you don't want. All I can say is, God, help us. And I'm glad I know that the church is in the hands of God. I'm glad to know that our world is in the hands of God. And it's interesting to me that all these people that are against God and our government and that don't want to acknowledge God and the Ten Commandments and all that stuff, what they don't know is they're being played like a fiddle by God Himself to bring to pass His Word. He's using infidels, if you will, to bring to pass prophecy. And they don't even know it. They're more used of God than most pastors I know. Put that in the proverbial piping. We can't give up on the fight. Our generation, your family, and your church needs for you to be determined to please God more than you ever have before. It's not a time to get weaker, folks. We've got to get stronger. We've got to get stronger. Yes, we do. George Barna, the man that does church surveys, he's done it for years, has identified some troubling statistics for the church at large in America. Women are twice as likely to be involved in discipleship than men are. I want to say in passing, we have a strong core 
of great, solid men at Grace Church. And I'm thankful for you, man. Thank you for that. Women are 57% more likely to attend Sunday school. Women are 56% more likely to hold a leadership position. Women are 54% more likely to participate in a small group. I want to say to all of our men, if you want your kids to love the kingdom, you need to love the kingdom. If you want your kids to be used in church, you need to be used in church. I learned a long time ago as a pastor and a father, don't ask anybody to do what you yourself are not willing to do. And since you ask, yes, I do mow the churchyard occasionally, and I have cleaned the toilets. I cleaned the one in my office this morning. There. A godly man is measured by what he fights for. We cannot, as men, become disconnected and isolated from the house of God and from the kingdom of God. I'm pouring my heart out to you this morning. If you've been hurt by his stripes, we were healed. And healing works as much for spirituality and emotional hurts as it does for physical hurt. Let God heal your hurt. We must, as men, fall in love with and stand for apostolic doctrine and apostolic lifestyle. It grieves me today that we have pastors that was born and raised that cut their teeth in, on the pew of an apostolic church and they're turning away. One of our pastors asked me two or three years ago, do you really believe that a person has to be filled with the Holy Ghost to be saved? More and more of our apostolic preachers, for the sake of a big crowd and a big church, they're turning away from Bible teaching. As men of God, we must stand for what the Word of God says. There are some things that we ought to be willing to fight for in our generation. You should fight for your own personal identity. As a man of God, you should battle for personal holiness. Men ought to be willing to fight for their family. It's been said many times, and I've even told Sister Murph, if you ever want to leave me, I'm going with you. Fight for your family. Fight through the confusion of living in a, a world that is so destined for evil and sin. Read the Bible and put those things in your heart. Fight for your close godly friends. Fight to gain the friendship of godly people. Oftentimes people struggle in their spirituality because who they hang out with. Quit hanging out with people who drag you down spiritually. Even if it's a church person that gossips in your ear about junk all the time, tell them, I don't want to be your friend. If I am your friend, you ain't going to talk to me about that junk anymore. I don't want to hear it. Fight for a strong faith in God. If you'll stand with me this morning. Jude speaks in his epistle of three people. Three men 
who were religious, but they were not spiritual. They were religious men, but not spiritual men. The first is Cain. Cain was not a godless man. He was a deeply religious man who believed in offering sacrifices to God. Abel also offered sacrifices to God, but the difference between the two sacrifices and between Cain and Abel was the difference between hell and heaven. The difference between religious tradition and spirituality. Cain and Abel symbolize two ways in which people have trodden. The way of religious tradition and the way of spirituality. Cain is a type of those who offer external things to God. Money, services, time, and so on. But they retain their heart for themselves. Abel, on the other hand, symbolically laid himself on the altar when he killed the lamb and laid it on the altar. Religious people can give gifts and pray and do many good works, but they do not understand what it is to offer themselves a living sacrifice. They may even pay their tithes exactly, but they will not pour their self. They will not put their self to death in moments of temptation. That is the difference between Old and New Covenants. You could enter the Old Covenant without dying to self, but it's impossible to enter the New Covenant without dying to self. Jesus didn't come to offer tithes. He came to offer himself as an offering. Cain and Abel symbolize a broad and narrow path of approaching God, the way of religious tradition and the way of true spirituality. You can be a servant without death to self, but you cannot be a son without it. So God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's offering. When a man consistently dies to self day after day, there'll be a fire from heaven on his life and on his ministry. Balaam was a second man who was religious, but not spiritual. He was a man of God who wanted to serve God, but who was also interested in making money and meeting great men in the world. He sought honor and financial gain for himself in the name of the Lord. There are many, many false prophets like Balaam today. Their doctrines are fundamentally right according to the letter of the Word. But undiscerning believers cannot recognize that they are motivated by the spirit of Balaam, which is the love of money and the acclaim of men. These are the ones about whom Paul writes, in Philippians chapter 2, saying that they all seek after their own interest. They, are, they were people in the church in Pergamos who lived by this doctrine of Balaam. There's no difference between seeking after honor and seeking for money in the church. And both are but different variations of the same spirit of Balaam. Finally today, the third man was Korah. Korah was another religious man. He was from the priestly tribe of Levi. But he was dissatisfied with the ministry allotted to him by God. He wanted more. And he went about it the wrong way. He desired to be more prominent like Moses was. This covetous man cloaked with religious garb was what proved to be his destruction. He had his co-rebels of Dathan and Abiram. And their families were only the ones recorded in scriptures who went alive straight to hell. The Bible said the earth swallowed them up. They went to hell alive. Think about that. It shows how seriously God takes this sin of rebellion against authority and He Himself, that He Himself has appointed over the people. There are elders, preachers, pastors today that are self-appointed and 
they, they rebel against them who may not be serious, who may not be spiritual, may sometimes even be necessary, but to rebel against the man of God who has been appointed by God would bring upon one the severest judgment of God. There's folks here today that need to be careful. Preaching the Word. You need to be careful in your attitude towards a pastor and ministers that God has appointed to the kingdom and to the church. When you find it difficult to appreciate a God-fearing brother, it's an indication that you have something of the spirit of Korah on the inside of you. When you criticize, then you're full of the spirit of Korah. If you can listen to others criticizing him, then you're like the 250 rebels that were joined up with Korah that was also judged by God that day. You can never become spiritual if you cannot discern between religious tradition and spirituality. And it's the need of the hour. Husbands, fathers, men, it's time for us to be measured by what we flee from, what we follow after, and what we're willing to fight for. At this point in the service, and I feel the Spirit of God, I felt a nudge in the Holy Ghost three or four days ago to do this. I want all of our men to come down to the front. I'm going to ask you to do that. If you're our guest today, please feel free to join us. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to put you on the spot. I'm going to ask all of our men to join me around the front this morning. I want to save out our pastor staff to help me work with our men, if you would. Thank you for your cooperation and participation. I'm here to tell you that the future of our country, the future of our church, the future of our world depends on what you do. If churches all around the world would do what I'm doing today, you'd see the point. God designed men to be leaders. God designed and destined men to be the leaders their life, their home, their spirituality. It's a God-given gift. And if you're, doing, if you're not doing it, it's not because you're lazy. It's because you don't want to. Because God gave you that ability to do that. I want to pray for our men today. I want to say this in the right context, but I love our church men. I love having lunch with you from time to time. I love fellowshipping with you from time to time. I love our church men. I'm so thankful that the front of this building from side to side is full of men. We have some even standing in the the aisles. I'm thankful for you today. I'm thankful for what you stand for and for what you represent. Grace Church has men that are committed to the teeth. I believe there's men here today that would lay down your life for the kingdom of God and your family if you had to. But we can't quit being less. And if there's people, men here today, that don't feel like you quite measure up to the Word of God's standard, today's a good day to start. There's no day like the present. There's no time like the present. And as they begin to sing softly, I'm going to ask all the ladies to come in behind these men. And if you can find your man, if you can reach your man, I want you to put your hand on their shoulder. And I want you to pray. I want you ladies that know how to pray to plead a blood covering over our men. I'm not playing here today. I want every man to leave here today full of confidence that I can do this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't have to be weak. I don't have to be flimsy. I don't have to be with uh, no spine. I don't have to leave like that. But I can leave full of faith, full of courage, and full of the power of the Holy Ghost to be what
what God wants me to be. Come on, men. If you feel too, lift your hands heavenward and ask for the help of God today. Ask for the help of God today. God, I need you more now than I've ever needed you before. It doesn't matter how old our kids are. It doesn't matter how many grandkids we have. We still need to be a man and to be spiritual and to do the right thing, to do godly things. Come on, ladies, pray.